The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Support for this show comes from the Utopia Foundation, committed to providing opportunities for people to express their good intentions in local and international communities. Learn how you can create positive change in the world at utopiafound.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. We have two guests today, a mother-daughter team, Patricia and Alana Rabun. Celebrated author and speaker Patricia Rabun has written several books, including an amazing spiritual memoir called I Told the Mountain to Move. Her essays on family and faith have been published in a wide range of media outlets, including New York Times, Newsweek, USA Weekend, USA Today, and NPR, and she lives in Denver, Colorado. Her daughter, Alana, is a seasoned school educator in the Nashville, Tennessee area, and together they've been featured on NBC's Today Show, where they've been talking about their new book, Undivided, A Muslim Daughter, Her Christian Mother, Their Path to Peace, and that came out last month and was featured in Spirituality and Health magazine. So we are very happy to have both of you on, Patricia and Alana Rayburn. Welcome to Essential Conversations. Great to be here. Well, thank you. It's really an honor to have you both. Let me start with you, Patricia. You write a lot about religion, both in your memoir, I Told the Mountain to Move, and in this new book that you wrote with Alana, Undivided, and in your blog posts at patriciarabin.com. So give us some background on your spiritual journey, how you were raised, and really your relationship to Christianity, to Jesus now. Where are you with that now? I love the question because I grew up on a pew, in um, a little church in northeast Denver. And the context for that that matters probably as much as anything is that we are an African-American family. And so when I grew up in the 50s and the 60s, there were a lot of places, even in a state like Colorado, where my family wasn't welcome, but we always were welcome in our church. I loved going. I loved the experience, the fellowship, the experience of learning gospel narratives in stories that uh, I was taught as a child and that still inform my relationship with Christ and my understanding of who God is and what the Bible is telling us. And I um, valued it so much that I wanted to share that experience with my girls when they were growing up. And so I committed to providing them the exact same path, introducing them to church and to God as I know God through my experience of a black Christian environment. And as they say, that's how we roll. And that's what I offered my daughters to. So Alana, that was going to be my next question. You were raised in that environment. 
and yet you find yourself today a Muslim. So what happened? Growing up in church was actually a really wonderful experience for me. It was like my second family. You know, everybody knew my name and all of the elders always gave me plenty of hugs every Sunday. And so it was a place where I felt comfortable, I felt loved. And I think it's where I first discovered that I did love God and that I did know there was a God. And so throughout my youth, however, I began to realize that I didn't quite understand or connect with the idea of the Trinity. And so I didn't really share this with anyone. I just kind of felt like maybe as I grew older, I would develop this understanding similar to some of the other people in my church. And so for a while, I kept this one to myself. But I did still have a, have a belief in God. And so it wasn't until my 20s when I started to do some soul searching and I came across the idea of monotheism from an Islamic perspective. And it felt like what I was looking for my whole life. It just made sense and it felt right. And I suddenly felt fulfilled spiritually. But again, it was really just a personal, a personal experience for me. I didn't really share it with too many people. Even my, you know, even my family. So how did you find out about Islam? I mean, just through books or you went to a mosque or you met some Muslims? How did that happen? Well, I knew a couple of people who were in the Nation of Islam. And I had grown up hearing about the Nation of Islam from um, my parents and, and from reading about civil rights. So after, at first, I had, you know, I began reading the Bible and the Quran. And, you know, when I started to really feel connected to the idea of Islamic monotheism, and hearing about the Nation of Islam really connected with my African-American roots. And so for a couple of months, I joined the Nation of Islam and started reading a little bit more about what they believe in. And I kind of saw a little bit of racism in some of their manuscripts. And so I didn't stay with them long, but I I held on to the, the idea of God being one. You know, that's what drew me in originally. And so... It was mostly, you know, me reading the Bible a lot more than I had as a youth, reading the Quran a lot, and reading other books on religion by different authors, and just like a self-exploration period. So you got associated with the Nation of Islam, and then you moved into mainstream Islam as opposed mm-hmm. to the Nation of Islam. So I'm imagining from what your mom said that you grew up in either an all-black church but, or a predominantly black church, Nation of Islam. Similarly, it's all black, predominantly black. But now you're in a mosque, which is the whole thing of Islam is that it's really post-racial in the sense that Muslims are all racial mixes and colors. So how does that feel? Is there a difference in tone and texture in just the feel of it for you moving into that kind of environment when you're at worship? What's interesting about that is growing up in an African-American church, you know, it's so common for African-American Muslims to come into Orthodox Islam through the Nation of Islam. So many black Americans come um, into Islam through the Nation of Islam. And so um, what happened with me was I was reading, as I was reading different books, I came across the autobiography of Malcolm X. And when I reached the part where he went to Hajj, and which is in Mecca, the, the pilgrimage to Mecca, he, and when he got there, he expressed how amazed he was at seeing all of the different races worshiping one God together. And that was exactly what I was feeling at that time. Again, as I had mentioned, the nation does have some aspects, I feel, of racism within their, their manuscripts. And, um, and, it, and it sort of masked as, 
you know, empowering black people, but it really is putting down white people. And so I didn't like that because I felt that that was not, that was not following the, um, the parts of the Quran that express that everyone is equal in the eyes of God. And so, um, so reading that part of the autobiography, I just felt like I was going through the same thing that Malcolm X was going through at that moment when he left the nation of Islam and became an Orthodox Muslim. Yeah, that's what I had in mind is his experience on the Hajj, which both in print and in the film adaptation is just so powerful, I thought. And I've had that a similar kind of moment myself. I mean, growing up Jewish, I grew up in a very European, Ashkenazi Jewish environment. Everyone was white. And I knew theoretically that wasn't the case, that Jews are not white, that Jews aren't a race. But I didn't experience it until I went to synagogues in Europe and in Israel, where it's the same kind of thing, that there's a tremendous racial mix. So I was just curious if that was something that, that appealed to you, and obviously it seems like it is. So let me switch now to Patricia for a second. So here you've got this powerful relationship with Jesus. I don't know exactly your theology, so that's what I'm going to ask you about. In many cases, the assumption that is made within Christian context is that there's an exclusivity there. Now, Jesus says, nobody gets to the Father except through Christ. So all of a sudden, your daughter is finding another way to the divine. Did you feel rejected? Did you feel, oh, I don't know, worried about the fate of her soul? Or even now, does it make room for Alana in their story of salvation? I really appreciate that question because it speaks to a couple of things that were operating when Alana announced that she had uh, converted. And um, that is that in the African-American church where uh, liberation theology is preached uh, significantly, there's always room, plenty gives room. I don't know if you're familiar with that uh, Negro spiritual. There's plenty gives room in my father's kingdom. And so, um, in fact, the pastor, my current pastor, um, frequently uh, quotes that uh, invitation from Christ that uh, whosoever will, let them come. And so that's been a discussion in our, in um, black churches now with regard to sexual orientation. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. And so in the church where I worship now, there's that welcoming. If you need, if you need the Lord, the door is open. And so, nevertheless, Alana and I started the journey by arguing, arguing doctrine and arguing um, matters of salvation, which theology correct, uh, the monotheism that Islam um, observes, or the idea of the Trinity, of a, a relational God that is uh, so valued in the world of Christianity. And um, what we discovered is that those conflicts became places of tension and negativity, and that as long as we, as long as we attempted to unravel theological questions, when we are not trained, neither one of us trained as theologians, that we got stuck. And and I felt that what God was asking is to step away from those questions that people want us find when we go on interviews and look in, at instead at our relationship as a mother and a daughter. So love triumphs over religion. 
Yes, you know, it's not complicated theology, but it just works, and it's worked for us. I'm sorry that I can't offer to your listeners or to other people this very sophisticated, complex theological solution at which Alana and I have arrived. But what we discovered is that if we attempt to um, treasure each other, a mother to daughter and, and daughter to mom, then we can start to live like the faith that we profess. Oh, I think that's very beautiful. I love those complicated theological arguments. I taught those for 10 years at the university, so that's my thing. I would love to hear that, oh, this is what we discovered, and that would be a lot of fun for me. But what you're saying is more powerful than that, I think, and that's if we can look beyond the labels that we've chosen for ourselves or the labels that we've uh, had foisted on ourselves, we can meet each other as human beings, and there's something far more profound and divine in that than in meeting each other as scripted, members of one or another theological camp. So I think it was a good answer. I appreciate that. With regard to salvation, many of my Christian friends have asked, well, what about salvation for Alana? And another discovery for me, that if I release those concerns to the God I say I honor, then I move into um, a place of trust, of trusting God. You know, it's, it's one thing to preach these ideas and uh, quote scriptures about trust, faith, but in real life, either I trust God or I don't. I can't answer, Patricia can't answer questions about salvation, but I know God, I love I love God, and if I trust God, then I trust God with the, the outcome, and that includes uh, salvation as God will find it for both of us. So that is really very radical. I hope I heard this right, and I hope our listeners heard it the way I heard it, because what I heard was you're saying, if we are bold enough to trust God as opposed to trust theology, then there is a tranquility that seems to arise in that trust. There's this sense of, no, it's all going to be okay in the end, because God isn't labelable, and God isn't going to judge me on, did I join the right club or the wrong club, but more on, did I embody the godly values that Islam and Christianity, Judaism, etc., sanctify when they're at their best. So I think that's a beautiful answer, and not an escapist in the sense of avoiding theological technicalities. It may be saying that, you know, when push comes to shove, that's not where religion, spirit, and the human soul live. We live in a much deeper plane than that. So, Alana, you look around the world, because you can't be a Muslim anywhere, probably, but certainly here in the South, in the United States, you can't be a Muslim and not be put on the spot, let's just say, for Islam itself. I have two questions about this. Let me start with you, Alana. What do you think's going on with Islam when we read all these crazy things happening within the religion? Certainly not with most Muslims. I'm not making that claim. But do you feel uneasy about this? Do you feel personally that People are judging you based on the crazy aunts and uncles that our religions have, or do they see you as an individual first and secondly as a Muslim? Well, that's a wonderful question because I've struggled with a variety of surrounding current events that are going on right now in the world. You know, for a while, I didn't really feel that concerned about people connecting with the acts of, you know, when 9-11 happened. It's so foreign and strange that I it didn't really affect that much at that time, I didn't feel worried about what to think about me. But over the years, and I read this, you know, with my mother, and I shared this in a book, and also with family, over the years, I started to feel worried that other people look at me 
And the funny thing about it is that I've talked to other Muslims who feel different than I do, say, no, I don't, I don't even, it doesn't even bother me, you know, I know that I'm not like that. But for some reason, and I've been, and I've really tried to figure this out, why I'm like this, you know, for some reason, I'm very aware of what other people think, and I'm very concerned that people will associate me with terrorists. The funny thing about it, though, is that, you know, for years and years, I've worked with people from different cultures, and I've always had really positive experiences. I never had anybody that was aggressive because of my scarf on my head or anything like that. So I think this is all an internal issue that I've, that I've been trying to work with. And, you know, now that I'm in the South, again, you know, I've experienced kindness. People here, I had one experience where one, one person yelled at me from the car, yelled at me, go home. And now that's the only time that it has ever happened. But it really shocked me and it rocked, it kind of, kind of brought to surface some of the, some of the issues that I've been having about that are the fears that that might happen eventually one day. Right. And you don't think they were simply telling you to go back to Denver? <laughs> I don't think so, or to go yeah. back to my house down the street. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not what they had in mind. We're yeah. just about out of time, so I have two quick questions. The first one may be a little bit odd for you, Alana, but you're younger. I don't know how old you are, but I'm assuming 30s, let's say, at the most. Am I in the ballpark? You are. I'm 35. 35. Okay, so right in the middle. So looking at a millennial Muslim, basically, and as a convert to Islam, do you find that people your age are as aware of, concerned with the issue of Shia versus Sunni? Or is something else going on among young Muslims that, you know, we're just Muslims? I think it is what you said. Secondly, you know, many of the people that I interact with are very multicultural and very accepting of others. And, you know, especially as I mentioned before, you know, being in Muslim Houston, there are people, there are Muslims from all over the world. And so some of them are Shia, some of them are Sunni, but it doesn't really come up. You know, honestly, it's something that people just don't really talk about. You know, you might notice there's a, maybe a slight difference in the way somebody prays or something that they do, but it's really, in my experience, it's not a big issue. Yeah, it's very fascinating because, you know, in the news, it's that's the issue or one of the major issues. Can you give us one or two insights that, that you learned from working this through with Alana that could help others sort of just put a finer point on it? A couple of things that you learned that could help the rest of us deal with each other and our religious differences. The biggest thing that I learned that I did not expect is about this concept of peace and making peace with other people. I had always thought that is a place where you arrive. It's the de destination, line in the sand and cross it, and now you are at peace. What I discovered in this journey with my daughter is that peace is a choice, and you make it every day yeah. in the way you interact with your, your loved ones, your family, your spouse, your co-worker, however you find it. You um, choose how you relate to that person. If there's hurt involved, you um, Take that hurt to God and um, get back to him to relate to each other and work together. And that uh, when you choose a peace as a way, you experience that is a perfect way to end. I want to thank you very much for that. My guests today were Patricia and Alana Raybun. You can learn more about Patricia's work at her website, patriciarabun.com, and you can read about their latest book or the book they did together, Undivided. This week's show was sponsored by the Utopia Foundation, providing the opportunity for people to create solutions that contribute toward a more equitable world. Please visit them at utopiafound.org. 
Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit their website, spiritualityhealth.com, to subscribe to the magazine and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston, and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.